when I moved to Nashville, there was no coming back without writing a number one song. You know, it was just like all I ever thought about. So, I'm sitting here with Phil Barton in London. In London, of all places. We've recently had the Global Opera Music Awards in Nashville, where, Phil, you took out Songwriter of the Year. Phil, thanks for coming all the way to London to record one year later. Just for this, <laughs> just for this interview. Isn't that funny? Because we were trying to get together to do this in Nashville like it's a week ago, out. and then your flight was moved earlier, and then... And yeah. then there was a tornado. Which was crazy, huh? And you guys were out in the air, like, just before it too, right? I just missed it, I yeah. think. But wait, what brings you to London? Because I'm here, obviously, for the Global Opera Music Awards London, but you're, you weren't here in time for that. I'm here for the Country to Country, Country Music Festival. Country to Country. Huge. Country Music Festival. So I've got a big show on Thursday night, so... I was supposed to fly into Belfast today, but it ended up getting cancelled. So we're doing the big show in London. So. so London's still going ahead, thank goodness. Yeah, so it's a crazy week, but awesome. How was the London event for oh, APRA? Oh, it was amazing. What's it looked been, amazing. What's been really incredible to me is how every single artist gets up there and genuinely has been thanking APRA for happening, for APRA coming to its artists and celebrating them in their hometowns. It's it's really special, actually. I feel like being like, I feel like I'm a veteran because I've been like away from home for 13 years, I guess. So I was one of the first writers in Nashville that was Australian. It just, I mean, it's so far away. It's like, you don't know anyone. It's just, and then to have APRA come and start recognizing that Oh yeah, that's amazing what you've done. It's just a beautiful thing. So I think it's been real important for the members everywhere, like LA as well, I'm guessing, and London, just to just to know that someone cares from home. You know what I mean? Because it's like it's really hard. Like I'll get all these carts or songs with different people, but no one at home knows who the artists are. So it's like a strange thing because it's like. Oh, I'm starting to do great, but no one at home knows these Canadian artists or these, you know, these American artists, which is a shame. Like, except for the obviously the high-profile songs that you know people like Sarah Aaron's are getting and all that sort of stuff. So, well, this is where I think this part of me introducing the podcast is super important. So. We're doing the One Year Later podcast two years pretty much since you signed a co-publishing deal with Liz Rose Music in June 2018. Yep. And I want to go into how that publishing deal changed your career and everything. But first, I want to hit the listeners with some stats really quick. So I'm just going to read these out. Yep. You had your first US number one with superstar Lee Bryce's Smash A Woman Like You. That track is now double platinum. Yeah. This song led to a Music Row Breakthrough Songwriter of the Year Award. You also won an NSAI award, which is the National Songwriters Association International, for one of the coveted 10 songs I wish I'd written. Yeah. In 2016, you won the Overseas Recognition Award at the APRA Music Awards. You're not just an American country music songwriter. In fact, you've had 14 top 10 yeah. in Canada. Yeah. And in Australia, you've written for Lee Kernigan, Busby Maroo, The Wolf Brothers, so, so, so many more. Yeah, it's crazy. I think I had nine number ones in Australia. Nine number ones in Australia. Last year, which was amazing year and 
so much great music coming out of there and I don't know it just feels like music's pumping right now it's great Did, and when I read them all out like that are you like yeah tick 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 or is it a bit surreal in a way or it honestly it just makes you more hungry to get more yes. I don't know it's like I find like getting a song recorded is it's like an addiction like you just need to, I mean you're so excited when someone cares enough to bank their career on doing a chapter of their career on your song so it's really special no matter who the artist is I always appreciate it and I'm thankful but it just spurs you on to I don't know I, I always thought when I started songwriting like I just gotta get one hit you know and that will that will change everything and that's everything but I think you really learn quick it's about the next song. You want to write the next great song. So that's, it, it kind of spurs me on. Gosh, I want to get more number ones in the US. I want to get more, you know, it's, yeah. it's exciting. It just, I love writing songs, so it's beautiful. Well, tell me how the co-publishing deal happened with Liz Rose Music. She's a Grammy-winning songwriter who's penned tracks for Taylor Swift, Little Big Town, Body Rate. I get why her publishing company would be a nice choice for you. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't my... I, I mean, I, I had a mutual friend, that, a girl called Emily Shackleton, that writes for Liz, and, and so I started knowing Liz. We started hanging out, and I went to Thanksgiving there probably, like, four years before I signed there. And then when my publishing option ended with a company called Hori Pro, she just reached out, and we all went to lunch, and... I mean, they just felt like family straight away. I mean, they've just been incredible to me being so far from home. Just so special to have people that really care about me and believe in me so much and and also just inspire. Like, she's a very inspirational woman, obviously gets rec massive songs everywhere. I think she, she was nominated again for a Grammy this year, so she's won three in the past with Taylor and little big town and she just she just keeps writing great songs and I find being around people like that is really inspiring so I'm lucky that you know she considers me something that's worth being around but we've become great great friends just from being out on the road and playing shows to because in Nashville we do like the songwriter shows and Liz was never, she doesn't play an instrument and she doesn't sing like much as a front person. So, but I think she found it really comfortable when we kind of play together and I can be there beside her and give us confidence to, because she's got the songs. I mean, I mean, we go into these rounds and we're playing You Belong to Me by Taylor Swift and all these amazing songs that won Song of the Year. And it's just like, I mean, when you hear her sing her versions, it's pretty cool. So, so she's got, she's got really confident about playing live. And then she even did a record, and it's awesome. And she's she's super, just great, just great. So you've been able to help her in the live sense a little bit, being beside her, being there with her. How has she helped you with your songwriting? Is there any huge takeaways that you've had in the last two years of being signed with this co-publishing deal? With well, you? she's, I mean, uh, there was a song called Skin and Bones by Eli Young and she let me go into the room with this, the band and Laurie McKenna to write a song while she went and wrote with one of the bass players. And, and just like, 
putting me in opportunities and writing with her obviously is just amazing with different artists and 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 also I think just the way she writes songs it's it's just I mean one example was we were writing with the Veronicas once like Australian band the Veronicas I love the Veronicas which I do too and she yeah. knew that so she brought me in on the right which was awesome but I just love watching her like we were writing a pretty average song, honestly, and then Liz just stopped the write and was like, tell me about, tell me what's happening. And basically, you know, they told a story to her and she just like wrote down everything and then we just, she just said, well, this is how the song goes and just said all their words that they just talked about and just fed it back. And then we put obviously melodies to it and she's a great... Which song was that? Well, it didn't actually come out because it was just before the new stuff came out with Sony. So, ah, which is a, but it was a, a whole great catalog there, isn't there? But the thing I learned about a few rights like that was like just how she listens to to artists and what the stories they want to tell, and she's amazing at like getting songs across the line because she does listen and she does make sure they feel so invested in the song and and that it's an important thing they want to say, and then she just makes it great. You know, so it's, I mean, I've, I've learned a lot from just being around her and just, and obviously her work ethic, she just, like, runs from right to right some days, and it's, like, it's crazy. And, I mean, say, like, one time we were writing with Cassidy Pope had just won The Voice in, in America, so we're writing with her, and she doesn't play or sing, so... As soon as we finish the song, me and Cassidy are putting down the song and Liz is the kind of person that's like, she's already thinking about the next song. So as soon as we finish that and we start packing up our guitars, Liz was like, what about this for another song? And it was so good that we're like, oh yeah. So, you know, <laughs> she's, she's great at getting like, all of a sudden you've got two songs. So it's like pretty amazing. She's... But you say that hmm. and it's amazing to hear and it's how wonderful that you have such respect and collaboration and camaraderie with someone that you're co-signed to but also a lot of people say these kinds of things about you you're actually known as one of the hardest working songwriters in Nashville there was a point where you were writing three songs a day I know yeah how where do you get your hustle from I don't know and people wonder how you can do that but I always like felt fresh going into a new song I don't know like you could be like so tired and like man I can't think of another thing but you walk into a room with these people and all of a sudden you don't want to suck you want to be <laughs> you don't want to embarrass yourself like all of a sudden you're fresh again and and someone says some word and all of a sudden you're going and and Man, and then you're like, how would I ever have lived without having that song? So it's really interesting because I've had times where my publishers have been, you need to write less songs and it'll be... It works for me because it's like, I don't know, I, I feel like if I write a lot of songs, I'll get a bunch of great, great, great songs, you know, and that's what you're after. What's that idea of, you know, failing until, failing is a good thing. Yeah. Failing until you find your success. And I, I feel like we we all write good songs, you know, but it's like we're trying to find these little gems that are just magic. So that's that's kind of what it, what, what it is. And, you know, there's some people that can write 10 songs and they're all the best songs ever, you know, but 
for me it kind of works where I have to dig in and write you know 300 songs and there'll be you know 15 20 great great songs or you know and then and then who knows which ones will get cut because it's like on top of that Mm. because then that's a different side of the business too so it's it's really interesting like just but i mean all i can do is just try and write the best song i can every day do you have songs in your catalog that you've written that were that do fall in that category of the best songs that haven't been released yet yeah, I feel, I feel, yeah, it's really strange because the songs that I have re- had recorded, like, you know, there's some that are great, but, you know, there's, there's better songs, I feel like, in my catalogue, but, you know, hopefully they'll find their day. It's, it's, and, you know, it, it's, everyone has a different opinion on songs, like, what they like, so it's so hard to say what, you know, some songs will get more action than others, but an artist might just hit a chord with this song that you think's okay, but, and then all of a sudden you go up and see, you know, like I had a bunch of songs like that in Canada, and then I'd go up and watch the show, and then all of a sudden there's 5,000 people singing along to this chorus, and you're like, oh man, this song is pretty cool. <laughs> so. And I've had that with a lot of friends that have had big number ones in America that are like not sure if, you know, when the song gets cut, they're like, oh, yeah, it's pretty cool. And then all of a sudden it goes top ten and it sounds amazing, (laughs) you know. Yeah, and just on that idea of, you know, having these songs sort of lay dormant for a little while, one of the examples that popped into my head then, and it wasn't a dormant song because she would sing it. It was Dolly Parton, I Will Always Love You. Yeah. It wasn't recorded by Whitney and it was going to be recorded by Elvis Presley for a while, but it wasn't recorded by Whitney Houston until much, much, much later. Like so much later, yeah. huh? Isn't that? It's a and then at, like one year we were up for Song of the Year in Nashville Songwriters Association and, and that was the year Whitney died and I Will Always Love You never won Song of the Year, so it won Song of the Year that year, so, which we were all like, what? <laughs> but, How did that not but, yeah. but, but it was awesome. I mean, yeah. to have Dolly Parton like win an award when we're all on stage, and to get presented, you know, with Garth Brooks on stage and all this stuff, it was pretty amazing. And so let's talk about your move to Nashville. You were in Tamworth when the idea to move to Nashville came to you. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I met Millie and. And Sally, who used to work at APRA. So and Millie Petriella, who's yep. Director of Member Services at APRA AMCOS, and Sally Howland, who was her boss yeah. back then. And they were just awesome, and I was starting to really get into country, and we just all became friends. And they were a guy called Greg Shaw that was managing Keith Urban at the time. He was, we became best of friends, and, and just all of us were good friends. And I don't know, he just... He really steered me in the right direction, and but he wasn't gonna like just feed me the easy ways. So he gave me a few contacts, and I had to just come over and make it happen. You know, it was, it was tough, but. So tell me about that conversation then with Sally and Millie. So you're in Tamworth. Yeah. You're songwriting. You're gigging at this point. Yeah, I was just playing guitar for a few of the star makers that's a competition in country music and they actually were putting on some workshops for APRA, which was cool because they were just talking about how to write songs, you know, and they had country stars like Casey Chambers and 
all these people, but they had a couple of, you know, different people from the business, and they had one guy that was a songwriter from Nashville, and and honestly, I was just like, wow, that sounds amazing. I don't know. Combine that with you know watching how Keith Urban was, you know, yeah. kicking butt over there, and then one of my best friends now is a girl called Kylie Sackley and she'd moved over there when she was 18 and every time she came back I heard her songs and I was like man these songs sound amazing and it, and it just all those things got me so interested that when I went over there the first time I was like wow there was a sense of like when the aeroplane was landing just of this is home like it was like crazy I mean and then I walked up and down music row and I was like just like, man, I've got to do anything to get here. and and Tell me about those first few months, though, because I know it was 13 years ago now, right? Yeah. It's a long and time I probably, ago. I, I did like six or seven trips before I fully moved, just three months of time, because that's all you were allowed in the country. But Wow. And then I'd come home and do kids' records and try and make a bunch of money and, and then go back over. But that was kind of my pattern, so I had this weird double life almost until like such a double life yeah it was so strange recording children's songs being really successful at it as well but then this true passion being on the other side of the world yeah and just how and everyone has a different journey how they get over to where they're going but yeah i was lucky to have abc doing the children's music and and i could still do a bunch of that via the internet like by the time you know I was over there, so for the first year I sort of still had a bit of an income and I had like, you know, 87 records of children's music making royalties, so it kind of like just kept me going, like however it did, you know. It was very, very cool that I could just, you know, be supported and just be writing songs every day with an income of some sort, yeah. How has Nashville's music industry changed since then, since when you first were walking down Music Row and then after you first moved and made it your home to now? Would you say it's a lot different? I think the the business of writing is the same, but back then it was mostly just guitars. Like, we'd all just be in a room on couches with guitars. It was super lyric-y. Now the track production thing has come in a, a lot more so you had to learn that I always kind of knew it a little bit but it's not my passion so I, I would always just try and be great on the top lining stuff so and that's more because I got friends like Lindsay Rhymes that are incredible that just like you're in a room and you're blown away like that you know I don't think I'd sit there at 4am watching two-hour documentaries on how to make a compressor, you know, like... Play to your strengths. Yeah, you know what I mean? I think me just... My strengths are melody and getting songs going and really being thoughtful on concepts and ideas, you know? So, yeah, it's interesting. But, But now, back then we used to, you know, every four weeks you'd get together with your publisher and they'd pick, like, six songs and you'd go and record them just... It was so fast, the recording process over there, and we were always just in the studio recording songs, so it was amazing. Like, And, they, and the publishers would pay for all the recordings, and you'd just be 
Man, you had a six-piece band all the time that had just played on Shania's record or just played on all these massive records, and you were like, man. And basically, it was you felt like you were ripping the musicians off because they were getting like thirty, forty dollars a song, and but they were like the guys that played on "I Will Always Love You" by Whitney Houston and all these songs, and it was like it was super inspiring. But now. Yeah, there's so many writers that attract people and you mostly have someone like that in every room, so... And what's it like with publishers now in terms of your songwriting? How does that part work now? Like, before you would take them six songs and they would say, yeah, record these, how does it work now? Yeah, I guess the business back then, too, was there was a lot more cuts where the publishers, there's people called song pluggers over there that basically take your songs and... It's their job to try and get them to Keith Urban or Luke Bryan or whoever it is, Luke Combs, like all these big artists. And it might be like, you know, to Pink in LA or like whoever it is, you know. And that's basically their job at the publisher. So that was a real big business and you'd have great song pluggers that would get cuts across the line. And now it's more so strategic management by the publisher where they try and get you into a room with a camp like it might be you know Luke Bryan's producer and then you know hopefully you write a great song and they'll take it to Luke Bryan you know that sort of there's more tactical ways of getting cuts now so that's probably how the business has really changed like yeah yeah that's fascinating well the thing I love too about Nashville is just like how they thought about it as a more of a job like it was an 11 o'clock appointment and then that was you know you'd meet there with whoever you were writing with and there'd be different people every day and and you were getting paid a wage and you had an office you know it's like really that's what I think I loved was like man this is just like a normal job like but we're just sitting here with guitars writing songs and I was just like wow, this is the place for me. Because I didn't feel like that was possible in Australia. Just didn't feel like a thing. Whereas there was this whole community of like thousands of writers doing this every day. And I was like, man, this is so special. But then how does that work? You've got a wage. Do you then still get to hold on to your royalty rights? Yeah. Great. Yeah, plus they're, they're like pitching in for all the demos. So it was just like... For an Australian guy, my mind was blown. that, And it was just how they were thinking about the business because it's like if you do get that top five song over there, it's its value is like, you know, like close to a million dollars probably, you know, split between all the parties, you know. So it's like, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Just the way it's thought about as a business, I, I just love everyone's just all, you know, it's all business, and and it's like, there's not many people cancelling. You know, it's all just we want to write great songs, and everyone's there for that purpose. So that's what I love about it. I love it. One year later is presented by Apra Amcos, a key business partner both locally and globally to over a hundred thousand Australian and New Zealand songwriters and publishers, with reps and creative spaces in LA, Nashville, and London. APRA AMCOS travels with its members. Whether you've relocated or it's just a flying visit, APRA AMCOS can provide space to members and their teams on a short-term basis in a fantastic location. 
go to apraamcos.com.au for more info. Let's talk about the awards for just one second. Yes. Yeah. Millie tells me that you had a pretty strong role in these global APRA Music Awards even happening. Well, I feel like me and her would always... We just talk about members, like, and international issues, like, and she's always, like, listened. And I guess because I'm on the ground, I would always have things that were relevant for international people. And, and one of those big things was just recognizing what people are doing and like exactly what I talked about they might be artists that we don't know in Australia but people are selling platinum records and getting Grammy nominations like for Christian music or you know all these things that are amazing that are like massive feats like and it just me and her would talk about the frustrations of not you know of people like that not being able to get recognized because back home they didn't know who these people were that they were writing for so I think that's she really listened to what I was trying to say and you know I think it was amazing that that you guys all came over and just really cared about what a lot of us are doing and and that just it was important to show all the members that man you guys have taken these massive leap of faith to move to another country put everything leave everything behind it's so hard and and most of the time with no money to try and make this weird dream happen and and the australian dollar's not so great in america oh it's it sucks and it's really hard and and things like that happen like you move over and then it'll just go down 20 cents and it's like oh my god i saved all this money like this was my yeah, and then all of a sudden you, you know, you somehow got to make it still roll and still write songs that do something and that people can care about. So it's, I mean, it's great that Millie, like, you know, could see that she needed to recognise some of these people and you know, I mean, there's so many people doing great things and it's, you wish there could be more awards, you know, it's great. I mean. I feel like you used your awards win to give out awards. <laughs> it's a weird way of saying it, but you were up there, you won Songwriter of the Year, and you were in a room with all your peers, and you stood there and you named so many people. You just saw these friends of yours, peers, people that you admire, people that you respect in the crowd, and you told sweet, nice anecdotes about all of them and their successes. So. Yeah. It was really nice to see you take that limelight and just move it and face towards the crowd. You know what was amazing was like, I mean, it was great when I won the Overseas Recognition Award in Australia, but it was kind of like, I was up there with Warner Chapel Music, which were partners with Liz Rose Music with me. And, you know, I just met the guys and it was like, yeah, it was awesome. And they were amazing and super nice guys, but I was like, it was so beautiful, the Nashville situation where I had, like, the woman that had signed me, the first person that took a chance on me. I had Liz Rose there. I had Scott, my publisher. I had Dave. And I had Kate and Anthem Music that, you know, are my other partners now. And it's like just to be in a room where they all were and, you know, my co-writers, that you know, it's it's like a family, the Australian community in Nashville, like, 
they know you. They are looking at you and they've seen, like, it, like obviously your team back home and Chapel would know the hard slog that you've done and how much work you've put in, but people in Nashville have seen it. Yeah, and they've lived it every day with yeah. me because we have offices next to them and we're talking about songs every day and it's like... I mean, they listen to everything that as soon as I've written it, you know, like, I mean, they live this disappointment and ups and downs and highs when we get some cuts. And I mean, it's just so you're so connected with these people that it's it's I mean, it was so beautiful to be able to thank them in the same room and just like little things like Gina Mandela that managed Tommy Emmanuel for forever. She sponsored my visa and. If it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be in America. Like, just having all those people, man, and just people that make you smile every day, like Michael Chase or, like, you know, just great people that are keeping the Australian community running and Mark Moffat, of course, it's just, like, just so great to every Australian that comes through. And I, and, and it was so beautiful to see all the faces in there because when I was first came over you know a lot of that community wasn't there so it's like I'll slowly get you know I'll get probably like 20 emails a week from writers from Australia that are coming over so I mean I try I try and meet with a lot I try and write with some you know I try and do what I can but obviously I'm crazy busy but but I try and steer people in the right direction like I feel it's important because I remember how hard it was when I was starting so there weren't many australians you were one of the trailblazers for yeah all of the other aussies and yeah hopefully some more kiwis will come over too yeah that's why i feel like a real connection to all those people that are there there's a lot of kiwis starting to come that's like good. yeah which is great i wanted to ask you about your songwriting process in terms of how you perform live as well because i think you're one of the rare songwriters that perform live a lot like yeah. You do a lot of live shows. I read somewhere that sometimes you do two shows in one night. Yeah. Do you test songs live that you're working on to see I'm how many mostly, Yeah, I, I sometimes do that, but most of the time I'm just doing what's being cut and telling stories about it because that's what, like, tourists to Nashville or... Got to give the people what they want. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I've got quirky little stories about songs and and people like that, you know. What's the What's the story that goes so well um like probably i do some kids stuff because you know i used to be in a kids band so i'll do something like that where i'll talk about you know how you know the biggest guy that ever recorded one of my songs was a builder called bob so (laughs) and people love that sort of thing and then i'll do the kids things and but then I've also you got... You did the theme song for Bob the Builder? I didn't do the theme song, okay. which I wish I had. But, <laughs> but I had a song in the... Sh- a couple of songs in the show, so... That's cool. Yeah, which was cool. And then I had a song that was called It's a Cowboy's Duty to be checking out the booty. Oh, my God! <laughs> which was, like, one of the first songs I wrote when I went to Nashville. That's the name of the song? Yeah. That's and, a long time. And I was, like, learning how to write country... So I was like, but I thought it was cool and it was fun, you know, and it went on hold with a few artists like Blake Shelton and a few things, but never happened. But I'd play, It hasn't been released. I'd play it out and and it was so weird because six years down the track I got this phone call about this song and it was this guy that was putting together all the music for a movie in Hollywood and I was like, 
what's the movie about? And and it's like Mexican drug cartel. So the movie was actually Sicario, and it got nominated for three Oscars. Oh my god! And in the middle of it, you'll find, and it's very loud. The song you'll find it's a cowboy's duty to be checking out the booty. <laughs> so. I mean, you never, you never know where songs are gonna go. I mean, so it has been released. Yeah, it's been released in a pretty big blockbuster film. <laughs> so we all and those lyrics. We all, in the yeah. Movie. Oh, the oh whole song. God, I mean, amazing. it's amazing. It's in this bar scene in the middle of the movie, and it's like, oh yeah, there's Cowboys' duty to be checking out the booty, and it all happened because I was playing it out, and someone liked it in the crowd at the Bluebird. Wow. Yeah. Cafe. Yeah. That's a beautiful story. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> that is hilarious. I love that. Oh, this next so I tell little, funny then. I tell little stories like that and people are like, wow, that's how that happened. My next question for you is, what do you hope your legacy is as a songwriter? In 50 years, when people are talking about Phil Barton, what do you hope they're saying? I mean, I just hope... I mean, I love the songs. I'm obviously proud of the songs, but I'm... I'm more, I'm super proud of like Australians coming over to Nashville and, and the way I've been able to help out. And if, if we can have more wins and more hits on the board from different Australians, I mean, I think that's really special. And I'm proud to be a part of like that movement of people that really opened doors and really, um, I don't know, helped helped get that going because it's really exciting to watch you know Lindsay Rhymes just have these mega hits right now and Morgan's kicking butt and Seaforth are going to be great you know like I mean they're already great but like I mean they're going to be superstars so I mean it's just to, to watch this steady stream of Australians now coming over and getting embraced by the Nashville community it's really quite special and I feel like I was a real big part of just getting that going. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't, but I, I do feel like I was involved. I feel like you are the advocate. You are always advocating for other songwriters. You're always helping. I, yeah, I think your personality is the advocate. <laughs> I mean, it's just, like, exciting to watch, like, these things. And then even songs like... Melanie Dyer came over and she's got a song on that's even on Nova now on pop radio in Australia called Memphis T-shirt, and you know I I like help. She came over and I helped her set up a bunch of rights and she wrote that song and then for her to go back to Australia and have this mega hit out there that is you know six week number one on the country charts and like just I don't know it's 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 getting normal Australians to to open their ears to country and I don't know it feels important mm -hmm. and cool and that's just one example you know yeah so finally what about you what do you hope we're talking about in terms of your career and what you you're doing next year this time next year what do you hope we're seeing and saying uh, I hope we're having a bunch more number ones um Basically, I, there's a lot of cool new talented people I've been working with, and and I'm excited for their music to come out. Got a song coming with a guy called Matt Stell that I'm excited about. Lauren Dusky is 
a great artist that she's about to drop a song that I wrote, which I'm really excited about. Just a bunch of great new talent in Nashville that's, you know, it's just... It's just I love how country music's growing and things like Spotify are opening the world to more hearing more music. So it's a beautiful thing. So I read that country's the number one genre in Australia. Really? Yeah, the most oh. popular genre. That's amazing. And you hear it. You hear it in so many songs now. It's lovely. That's crazy, isn't yeah. it? To think it, that that was possible yeah. like 10 years ago. So Nashville's home, that's... Yeah. So you'll be based. Yeah, I just became American, which is weird, but. You would never truly become an American, Phil Barton. You are. It's true. You're a way too Aussie. Yeah. One of our Aussie exports doing amazing things overseas, making yeah. us proud. Well, I just love Nashville, and I just, I mean, I can't picture myself leaving it. It's just such a beautiful community of people, you know? Yeah. Australia's lucky to have you out there. Yeah, it's great. But I love going home and I do love all the music that's going on in Australia. It's great and I love getting the opportunity to have people come over to Nashville and, you know, we've worked on great things like Busby Maru and, like, things like that that are just, like, super cool when they come over and, you know, just having more people come and you know dip their toes in the songwriting that we do over in Nashville it's cool and that's what's really great about your career is you've had the success and you're having the success and you'll continue to be successful and your story back home is showing artists that it's possible yeah yeah that's the bit that's yeah the takeaway. you can do it it's yeah not, it's a tough slog though right 13 oh yeah it's been it's tough yeah. it definitely was really tough at the start like in I guess people will find that when they move to Nashville if they do you know like but you'll be there just getting going you can meet up but, with them. but it's like a determination thing it's like who really I mean I felt like when I moved to Nashville there was no coming back without writing a number one song you know it was just like all I ever thought about and that was had to happen you know there was no other option. I don't know. It, it was so so weird. Yeah, but but I mean, it's not weird. That's that. It's the ultimate for a songwriter. Yeah. You know, to have people hear your your song and you're saying number one. Yes, you've put a number on it. You put a label on it. But what you really mean is that the world has heard it. Yeah, and it was weird because I was driving a moped at the time, so I never really heard it on the radio, but. <laughs> But everyone else did, don't worry. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> we, all, we all heard it. Oh. And it still gets a lot of play. Like, that woman like you, like, from... I mean, it still gets great amounts of play every year, so... That's the thing with great songs. Yeah. Stick around. Yeah, so I'm working on a new bunch of trying to get them, so... <laughs> great. Can't yeah. wait to hear them. Yeah, it's fun. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. In London. In London, Woo! we did it. <laughs> if you write or perform songs, you need to connect with Abraham Cross. The Music Rights Organisation collects songwriting royalties for over a hundred thousand songwriters and composers. It also supports music creators through networking events, workshops, and grants programs. 
go to aquaamcost.com.au to find out more.